Hey, what's happening, everybody? I'm Larry Roberts, and this is another episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Hey, you could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. We can definitely live larger than life, and I got to tell you this morning, we are off to an early start on a wonderful Friday morning. We are participating in a massive podcasting event called PodMax Global, where uh, uh, several interviewers and several guests, and by several, I mean dozens actually, come together and we exchange stories and we exchange uh, just airtime, essentially, for those that are looking for it. And, you know, when everybody comes on to PodMax Global, you had the option of being a host or a guest. I picked host, and uh, the gentleman that joins me right now obviously picked guest. So let's get started right away. You guys know, you know, my background, you know, that I had uh, addiction issues. I was addicted to alcohol and I was an alcoholic. And it's funny because I say was, and a lot of times therapists go, what, what you're saying was, you still are. And that's just not my gig. I was, I haven't had a drink in six and a half years. So I would say that uh, it's kind of in the past. Well, today we have a gentleman that's joining us that is a counselor and he employs some techniques that I'm aware of, but I didn't use when uh, I, I got sober. So I'm interested to hear about those and how that applies to his business plans going forward. So his name is Robert Grigor. And Robert has a philosophy of where he believes that therapy should be the most important investment one makes in their lifetime. And it should have a clear beginning and an end date. See, I love that because that kind of matches my philosophy. We, he does everything in his power to ensure that all his clients receive special care that is sensitive to their unique needs and their circumstances. He believes that time is our most precious resource. So do I. As such, he's dedicated to giving you and your loved ones as much time as possible in your highest, most extraordinary states. So without any further introduction... Robert Grigor, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you so much, Larry, for having me here as your guest. It is definitely my pleasure. And we've been talking a little bit back and forth via email because you do have experience and you do uh, administer these techniques that, I, I again, I was exposed to while I was going through uh, a rehab, but it was a considerably more expensive add-on treatment. And a couple of the gentlemen that were there, they did it, and they saw some really good results. But I just kind of figured it was some hokey pokey wizardry, <laughs> where you if and they kind of showed me what it was about. You hold on to, and it may be different the way you administer it, but this is how they did it: where you hold these two joysticks and you start walking down memory lane, and they're asking you questions, and you're talking, and if they don't like your answer, they shock you. <laughs> Is that accurate? <laughs> Everything except for the shocking part, really. And and I have to say that uh, I I was right there with you. I thought EMDR was hokey pokey, total rubbish. Uh, even during my training, I thought about walking out before the first lunch break, and wow. I, I paid for it. So I, I might as well see it through and get the hours. Best decision I ever made. Wow. And so, why is it the best decision you ever made? I mean, how did you? get beyond 
You know, I mean, because honestly, it looks like you're sitting there with, like, I don't know if anybody remembers this because I'm kind of old, uh, the Atari 2600. It's like you have two Atari 2600 joysticks and you're going through some sort of therapy session. Well, what changed your mind throughout the training? What flipped the switch for you? Yeah, so um, it's it's really a kind of a journey. Um, y- you talked about your own addiction and I've, I actually struggled with my own as well. Prior to becoming an EMDR therapist, I was a, what I call regular talk therapist and I was doing sessions, pay as you go 60 minutes here, 90 minutes there and kind of going as, as, as we did. And, you know, in the old philosophy of therapy, I thought that the, um, the real um, goal to aspire to as a therapist was to have a lifelong relationship with my clients. You know, I was thinking 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road, maybe I'd be invited to a wedding or, you know, a bar mitzvah or something like that. And I thought that's really wonderful. Turns out trauma therapy is really hard. And I started getting burnt out within two years of practicing. And I thought, wow, Robert, you are literally like two and a half years into your practice and you're going to have to find a new career. All that time in your master is just wasted. So I thought I have to do something different. Therapy at the time felt like taking down a redwood tree with a spoon. And so I remembered in my EMDR or my master's education about this thing called the EMDR. And I thought, oh yeah, that there's something, it was something I just wrote, I wrote down the margins of my notebook. And I thought if I ever had a really, really traumatized client, I'd send them over to that person. Turns out that EMDR is much more than just a tool. For me, it's an entire discipline of how I take clients through uh, treatment. So what's really different about EMDR and that stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing for anybody that's not aware it is an accelerated form of neurological processing that activates both sides of the brain, both hemispheres, left and right, in alternating fashion. So when you talk about those joysticks, that's really what's happening. You know, the left side of the body is connected to the right side of the brain and vice versa. And so what happens is the joysticks or the, the patter, paddles or therotappers, whatever you want to call them, uh, which is just one way of doing it, um, they just, they buzz back and forth and, and it's not shock therapy, um, by any means it is about the same vibration as, uh, say your phone vibrating in your hand when somebody calls you. So it's very light. So that, what that does is it works through, it helps the brain to, to unlock any pathway in the neurological sequence that is blocked. It could be physically, it could be emotionally, it could be spiritually. However, that person's holding on to um, that information in the brain that is now released. It's kind of like both sides of the brain speak two different languages and EMDR is the translator. So it really shortened treatment for a lot of my clients. Two years, three years, four years, five year clients turned into you know two years, one year, wow. six months three months for some clients. And uh, so I thought I was onto an absolute gold mine with that. And then obviously I've, I've shifted a little bit more. We can talk maybe more about that later, but addiction is certainly one of the things that EMDR is incredibly effective at releasing. So I, because I, I understand too, that EMDR, you really start talking about that. You go back through your life experiences. So is it, more of, and you mentioned it once already, trauma 
healing and trauma therapy? Uh, and if so, try to help me understand a little bit better how going back and talking about those traumatic times in your life that were contributors to your current addiction or your current uh, difficult state that you're in, mm-hmm. how do, do the two correlate? How, how does, does, it, does the EMDR activating both hemispheres of the brain help bring that out and you can express it, therefore leaving you in a more healing state? Or how, how do we get there? Yeah, totally. Um, it's it's a really great question, Larry. That that's that's something that a lot of people. It's a misconception, really. Uh, the first thing to say is that EMDR is not talk therapy, so we're actually doing very little talking. And and in, in conventional therapies, if you go back and you start bringing up old painful memories, and that's all that you do with it, it's going to hurt. You can actually re-traumatize yourself from doing that and cause more distress. I remember going straight to the bar after my last, my my therapy sessions with my talk therapist um, and, you know, doing shots because I was so stressed out. Nothing against him. He was a fantastic guy. I love him. But so what EMDR does, we go back. So all of the distress that a person's experiencing in their life in the current moment is actually not due to anything that happened like say last week or two months ago. It's really because of these earlier experiences throughout life, which actually almost always, and I can't say always because I can't say it's a guarantee, but I would say 99.999% of the time it starts with the parents and the family atmosphere that the individual was born into that atmosphere creates a neurological system in the brain, which is like the atmosphere that the person, the lens that the person sees their world through. This creates negative beliefs about the world. You know, I'm a bad person. I'm not good enough. Um, I don't deserve this, etc. I'm not lovable. And that is like a bin that's absorbing any kind of, uh, experience, whether it be something that you said traumatic, so obvious trauma like car accident or a death in the family, something like that, very clearly traumatic. It could be anything that was actually distressing. So I was bullied in school a lot as a kid. And every time that people called me short, fat with glasses, boom, that was a trauma. It didn't, it wasn't beat up or anything like that. So it was just evidence for my brain that this was who I was. I wasn't good enough. I'm not lovable. I don't belong here. And that's really the core of what addiction is. There's, there's distressing feelings that are underlying any problem, whether it be addiction to alcohol or, or shopping or gambling or working out or any kind of anxiety that somebody's experiencing, it's all due to those earlier experiences. So what EMDR does, this is a long answer to your question, I think. It's all right. That's what you're here for. <laughs> what EMDR does is we go back to those pivotal, uh, pivotal moments in your life that gave way to that belief system, that gave way to this neurological sequence, and we are allowing the brain to finally process those events because during those events when we're under high stress we don't process information normally normally information kind of comes in through the right side of the brain and it's simply processed over to the left side of the brain and then bob's your uncle during high stress the brain shifts into fight flight freeze mode 
and then there's a faint and there's actually a shutdown. So there's a lot, a lot happens there, but we're in survival mode and the brain just cares about getting you through the day, getting you through the experience. But at the same time, all that information that the brain absorbs is just getting locked into the brain and your brain is hanging on to those pieces of information so that you never experience that event again and those feelings again. Unfortunately, that's actually what happens more often than not is we keep re-experiencing it. So EMDR unlocks all that, that experience, all the stuckness in the brain and allows you to let it all actually go once and for all, for real. That's, that's, a, that's a spectacular answer, honestly. And staying just for a little bit longer on the addiction theme that we're kind of on here, you know, where I went, they teach that addiction is a disease. And I know that's not the first time you've heard that. Hmm. But to me, saying that addiction is a disease and then using EMDR as a therapy to remedy addiction, it seems counterintuitive. Because if my EMDR helps me get beyond my addiction, does that not say my addiction really wasn't a disease? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm right there along with you. Um, and this is a, it's, it's difficult because everybody has their own perspectives. And I really try to, to, to take the, the Switzerland approach, right? It's really not, it's, it's whatever my client believes is best for them. That's, that's really where I'm going after. I'm going to align with, with my client. But in my personal and professional beliefs, I believe that all of our problems, and let's using addiction, it, it's, it's, it's something that's just a neurological, it's like neurological junk. And it's kind of just, it's like messy, right? Your office is messy and I can't really, you know, off, um, <laughs> not your office. Oh. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's really about clearing the way. So, if you need to, to, to think of it as a disease, that, that is totally cool in that way because the brain itself is having neurological um, synapses that are cross-wired that need to be kind of unwired, which is very medical, very you know, physiological in that way. So that, that's cool. But it's also, it's, it's really not, it's not that, it can be however you want to look at it. It could be spiritual to you. It okay. could be emotional to you. Yeah, it seemed like anybody that went through the process came out of it feeling very emotional. And mm -hmm. that was kind of where I was assuming that it was taking us down memory lane because everybody came out of there, their eyes were wet, you know, they were, uh, their breathing might have been off a little bit, you know, and they were just a little bit upset because of what they were going through as they experienced this therapy session. It's a mind blowing treatment for sure. And, I, I like how you lean towards your connected to your, your patient because yeah. that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to heal that individual. And I think the treatment, especially with something like EMDR and, and when you're dealing with addiction and individuals that have, have battled addiction, every situation is unique. Yeah. You know, I, I have a reason why I believe I fell down the path that I fell down. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you do as well. And I'm, I'm about 99.9% .9 sure that our reasons are not in alignment. You have yours. I have mine. It is what it is. Right. And a lot of therapists though, they try to manipulate you to exactly their line of thinking. You have to adopt their philosophies 
110% or you make no progress. And I personally disagree with that. And I love where you're coming from with you being connected to them. Uh, they're the focus. You know, I, I think sometimes therapists get it backwards and they, they try to fit their patient to the therapy instead of fitting the therapy to the patient. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a fair assumption? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and I I think I would kind of kind of play both sides a little bit because I completely completely agree with you that treatment at this kind of and at this level in this way, this is a very unique undertaking for every unique human, and every single one of my clients is an extraordinary human. There is incredible potential in there. There's incredible love. There's incredible compassion and empathy and incredible drive. There's so much that's available inside that human. And the only thing that's stopping that individual are their own pain from the past, which I also link to generations that happened prior to them as well. But this is really, if we can clear that out, then that individual is free to become their best self. And who am I to say how they should think or what they should feel? So is, is EMDR, is it only an addiction therapy? Or no. could, it, could it help us get beyond our own self-doubt, our own imposter syndrome, our own comparanoia? Could it help that? <laughs> like I said that, yeah, for sure. We, it, it is... And so this is the other side of the coin. It's really, it's kind of a one size fits all approach because it can handle anything that is to do with unprocessed memories. So I've had, you know, and any of the leaders that I work with, whether they be board members, executives or entrepreneurs or um, athletes or actors, whoever, everybody has some kind of a negative belief that's holding them down whether that be self-doubt, I'm not good enough. If they really knew the, the real me, they wouldn't hire me for this position, right? I'm, I'm <laughs> fooling everybody, imposter syndrome, right? Or it could be, you know, I can't stand in front of a group of people and do a presentation because I'm so concerned about what they're thinking about me. They're thinking, I don't belong here, right? Right. Or it could be, I'm not lovable. Every relationship I've had ended in disaster and, you know, I'm on my third marriage, so I should... I, course I'm not lovable. So any pain that the individual is experiencing, that can all be wiped away with EMDR. That's cool, man. That's good stuff. And that's great from an entrepreneurial perspective as well, because, you know, comparanoia is something that I speak on often. And uh, I, I see that as the, uh, a cycle that prevents many entrepreneurs from taking that next step and taking it to the next level and actually becoming a profitable business, a mm-hmm. real entrepreneur instead of what many people call a wantrepreneur. Because right. I, I want to, but man, I'm not making any money. This is cool. <laughs> so really, I'm just doing my hobby, right? I quit my job and I'm doing my hobby for free. Uh, that's cool. But, you know, and I did that several years, several years, decades ago, actually. Uh, and I can say decades. I'm 47. And I think it happened when I was about 27. But mm-hmm. I started a karate school. And I didn't make any money, but I was doing my hobby. You know what I mean? Right, so right. I, yeah. I, and I, I, I said this last night on a podcast, and it's a true story. The year that I had my karate school, I made $2,000. Wow. $2,000. How am I going to live on $2,000? Yeah. 
Yeah. I was on welfare. I had a baby. Uh, my <sighs> wife worked. Uh, you know, she was the one that was supporting us. We lived in a little one-bedroom apartment. But guess what? I was kicking and punching every day. I was living it, right? No, I wasn't mm-hmm. living it. I wasn't living it right. Something was stopping me from from doing it right. And I was going about it for all the wrong reasons. I just wanted to be the tough guy. You mentioned being bullied earlier. I was bullied like you wouldn't believe mm-hmm. growing up. And I took several ass whoopings just from a bully perspective. It sucked. That's mm-hmm. why I started kicking and punching. Cause I thought if I was, well, back in the eighties, see ninjas were cool. And I yeah. thought if I was a ninja, nobody could mess with me. Right. That was, it, right. it just stuck. But it's it, that type of therapy can help you remove all of the blockades that those types of life experiences mm-hmm. uh, impose on you. And it weighs you down like weights when you're trying to swim and with EMDR, I think you can help remove a lot of that pressure and a lot of that uh, that trauma that's holding you back. Yeah, yeah. You know, what's really clear about what you said about your karate school is that, you know, what was very, very much present for you, I, I'm going to guess, was your courage. The courage to go out and, and stand on your, on your own and I'm going to do this. So you, you had courage, you had drive, you had vision all important aspects of entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. What was really holding you back probably was those negative beliefs. So you were, you were, it's almost like you were re replaying those earlier experiences so that you can kind of prove, I'm guessing to some earlier part of yourself that, you know what? I am good enough. I, I am, I can protect myself. Right. And, and this is, you know, there's nothing really wrong with that because that's, a, that's so valuable. But at the same time, if you were to remove all of those negative beliefs and that pain from the past, maybe you'd be more clear, you'd be, have more focus, you'd be able to do something as, as well, maybe market yourself in a different way, reach new connections instead of being what, it, and again, I'm assuming because I don't know, but sure. a lot of entrepreneurs have sort of tunnel vision, like I'm just going to do this one little thing. And then because there's so much pain and pressure and fog over our eyes, sometimes that it's, it's really difficult to see the other opportunities around. So there's a real reality that a lot of entrepreneurs have about, you know, the opportunity costs of missing certain um, opportunities that might be present. Right. Right. Man, good stuff. So what, what are you, what are you looking for down the road? Where are you looking to take your, your practice? Um, well, I'm, I'm really moved into it right now. Um, and this is it just, some of it was luck as many entrepreneurs will say that, you know, it's just luck. Things are happening. Or, may, or it's divine intervention, or it's both. I'm not sure. But um, where, where my practice went is I started to see more and more entrepreneurs, executives, uh, really the people that I work with now, leaders, whether they be in the film industry as actors or directors, producers, or even in the, the, the athletic uh, world, like um, uh, sports athletes or managers and champs, et cetera. But so I started seeing these, these clients and it turns out that even though EMDR is really fast, um, like in short in treatment times from, you know, two, three, four years to a year, maybe six months, even that was, was, wasn't fast enough because as many of you know, a lot of these individuals don't have a lot of time, time, most precious resource, right? So, you know, even committing for three months on a regular weekly basis was proving to be quite difficult. So I had to shift my practice. I'm so glad that I did. Um, So I'm actually, instead of doing that sort of six months, three months, eight months, however long that might be for the individual, 
I'm doing all of that treatment in as little as a single weekend. Wow. Yeah. So, and I'm going to look at this from a business perspective. It's interesting that you're wanting to shorten the amount of treatment time for your clients because that's phenomenal. But at the same time, I mean, from a business perspective, now you don't have a client. So that's true. how do you balance that, man? <laughs> well, it was actually uh, one of my problems throughout most of my career because, uh, well, most of my EMDR career, because I had, you know, treatment was, was sped up to, to a lot of degree. I had to constantly get more clients, but really what I'm doing now is it's, I, I get the, kind of the luxury of picking and choosing a little bit as to who I get to work with because, it's, it just so happens that, you know, there's, there's, there's a little bit more money to be made in this, in this type of, of format, obviously. And it, it affords me the kind of luxury to be able to spend more time with my family and, and to be able to help my clients on a deeper level than I ever could do before. And of course that's valuable to people. That's really what life is all about. It's, we have to be able to maximize the amount of quality time that we have on this planet because we don't know how much time we have. Right. Right. And so many of us try to shorten that with our addictions, you know, yeah. and, and you don't even realize it, but that, I mean, that was my awakening moment was when I, I almost checked out, you know, oh my gosh. Uh, I, you know, I'd been at the house for weeks, weeks, and mm. all I was, I was sustaining on, on gin and, um, you know, equate brand, um, like insure type drinks. Mm, and that's mm -hmm. it. That's it. Everything. Every, that's it. And I, I, I was sitting on the couch and I never moved. I didn't move off the couch. It was horrible. And I, this is here. I'm going to share this. I don't know if I've shared this before, but all I did was I sat there and I rotated between two movies. I rotated between the original Superman with Christopher Reeve. And it's just one scene, the scene mm. where Lois Lane dies and mm. Christopher Reeve almost cries as he realized she's dead. I watched that, I'll guarantee you, I watched it a thousand times. Wow. I guarantee it. And then I would switch to uh, The Dark Knight Rises. I'm a big superhero fan, if you can't tell mm -hmm. behind me. And uh, it would be where, I don't know if you saw the movie, but the main bad guy beats up Batman and leaves Batman all broken and, and, and in pieces. So I would yeah. watch Broken and in Pieces Batman, and then I'd watch Broken and in Pieces Superman, and back and forth. And now to this day, my wife won't let me watch the movies. And, you know, she's like, no, those movies are dead. You can't watch those. So mm. it's almost like, you know, I sat and, and, and of course I was intoxicated the whole time to unbelievable degrees, but mm -hmm. it finally came to a point where I, even in my drunken stupor, even in my filth, even in my state of mind of whatever, I realized that, Hey man, I think I'm about to shut down. Mm. I think this is about it. This is, this is, this is it. So what are we going to do? Are we going to go ahead and go get another shot, you know, or, or are we going to, are we going to go over here and make a phone call? So I, I woke up and not really woke up, but I became aware enough to make a phone call. And I called my best friend. I said, dude, I'm, 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 this is it. You gotta give me some help right now. I'm checking out today. And they came and got me and I wouldn't even, and I don't remember any of this cause I was already so drunk. I, I slammed back. Like they said five or six more shots before I'd let them take me away to, to the treatment center where I was going to stay and the treatment center, we get there eventually and, uh, they couldn't keep me. They had to send me to the hospital because my vitals were so off the charts and I ended up spending, I think it was four days in the hospital in recovery there before I went to the recovery center of the facility for another week and a half. And then 
seven weeks in the facility. I mean, it was nuts. It was crazy. But that, that kind of self-destructive behavior has, has a, uh, I mean, it doesn't just happen. You know, there's a mm-hmm. source to it. Mm-hmm. And if you can't unlock that source, which somehow it did, I wasn't even a fan of my therapist while I was there, to be honest with you. I asked for a different one. They wouldn't give me one. <laughs> like, no, you can't pick your therapist. We give you one. That's your therapist. And I'm like, ah, whatever. But somehow it still worked. So, you know, I, I just, I don't necessarily understand it to this day. But I've worked with several individuals like yourself that that have addiction therapy. And if it's handled properly, obviously, I'm a testament to the fact that it works. Do you, within in your addiction, and I know everybody handles it differently, do you see ongoing group settings like AA or uh, I'm guessing you're in New York, saw Radio uh, behind you? Vancouver, BC. Vancouver. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Well, you're still up yeah. there where they use... Uh, okay, cool. Radiators. We back still there. have AA and stuff here. Yeah. Though. So, well, the, I was going to ask about Smart. Have you heard of Smart? Yes. Yeah. And the self management and recovery is it techniques or training? I forget what the T stands for, but that's what worked for me because it had a beginning and it had an end. And I think mm-hmm. it, I probably would have gotten to that end even faster with EMDR. It's probably likely. And and Larry, I also want to say thank you so much for sharing that. I think that your courage to be vulnerable right here is going to help everybody listening right now to also take an introspective look at themselves and maybe make that choice for themselves as well. Because that's really what it all came down to in that moment was, am I going to check out and die right now? Is that it for me? Or am I going to choose to live? That is a critical choice everybody has to make, um, especially if they're, they're, they're dealing with addiction. But on every level, that's certainly a choice, life or death. It's only love or hate. There's the only two directions, right? Love and fear, I should say, sorry. For, for me, and, and I go back to that um, balance between what my clients' perspectives and needs are, if they really um, have found value in the um, group setting, whether that be AA or that be a SMART program or whatever type of program that they find effective and useful for them, by all means, keep it up. There's nothing wrong with, with, with doing that. You know, community is really, really, really helpful in, in promoting mental health with the difference really is, is that EMDR is going to take care of the underlying root causes that, that led to the addiction, eliminate the, 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 so every time that somebody's addicted to anything, whether that be alcohol, drugs, it could be shopping, sex, gambling, working out, working, there is a positive feeling that we get out of that, you know, choice that there's a, there's a feeling. So there's two types of, of people that, um, especially when we're dealing with substances, you're either, uh, let's use drinking, you're either drinking so that you numb out because there's so much pain, you don't want to feel it anymore, or you're so numb all the time that you're drinking so that you can finally feel something. Yeah. I I see it for both perspectives and, and, and the fact that I also experienced it. From yeah. both perspectives, you know, I, yeah. I think the whole, uh, we, we had some traumatic events that happened in our marriage. We, we lost a nephew. And uh-huh. so that was, uh, that was rough. And that's really when we went from partying just, you know, on the weekends, like your average person does go out and have a good mm-hmm. time and come home to just drinking every night to the point of blackout. And then I took yeah. it to the next level and went crazy with it and drinking during the night and drinking during the day and drink, 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 drink. And yeah. it was, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a rough deal, but you know, I noticed that one of your, your 
quotes on your website is that you believe in making the impossible possible. And many people would believe that when they're in these, that the depth of an addiction, that, that it's not possible to recover. So how can you help outside of EMDR? How can you help them find the possibilities in their perceived impossible situations? That's a really, really great question. You know, when, when you're in the middle of whatever that fog is, whether it be addiction or stress or burnout, but there is a fog and you can't see 10 feet in front of you. It is just right now and this hurts and I need out. So what we have to first do is we got to clear that away. And this is, this is what happens every single time the brain is designed to help the individual to, to self-actualize, to grow, to heal. Just like if you break your leg, your leg is designed to heal it's, itself. Sorry. And all you need is a doctor to place a cast on your leg and then let yourself heal. Same thing here. The brain is injured and all you need to do is set the synapses in the proper direction and then the brain just heals on its own. So when that happens, the individual is open to their possibilities and it just shows up every single time. Even if they don't have a, a mission in mind or a purpose in mind, it's going to come very shortly after that, I guarantee it. So you, you kind of see it as, as, as brain damage? Not, not in the typical sense that like, you know, you've had a, a blunt injury like a to your brain, right, right. Uh, but, but it, it's, it is an injury in the sense that during that experience, whatever caused that initial neurological sequence, the, the synapses are growing in a particular direction. Your brain is trying to survive and to try to, to get you from point A to point B. So it's in that way, it's doing its job just fine. But because of our particular circumstances, it's causing so much more distress for the individual. So in a way, it's very neurological. It's very, very much a brain thing that needs to be just cleared, right, organized. Right. You know, I, I see a lot with uh, addiction recovery where you come off of your addiction, whatever it may be, but yet you are now on a regimen of medications that you're addicted to as well. I'll tell you right now, every day, every day of my life, I take well over 30 pills. 30. 30 pills. That's a lot of pills. A bunch in the morning and a bunch more at night. It's insane. So although, you know, the only thing I drink is Monster. They're not a sponsor, but hopefully someday. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, I drink my Monsters and I take a ton of pills. Don't you think that's still, I mean, I'm still kind of addicted, you know, I got to have these pills, right? It's certainly one way to look at it. And it it really, I've seen this so many times that it doesn't necessarily have to be pills that um, somebody's coming off of it and taking, which is certainly obviously, you know, there is some damage to your liver. I'm not a doctor, so I can't give you medical (laughs) advice, of course, but, but don't sue me. Okay. But a lot of the times people, you know, they, they'll leave. And I used to work in a, um, right across from a recovery house in Salvation Army, um, the downtown east side of Vancouver, which is the poorest postal code in Canada. Um, so I, see, I saw this a lot of times. So people, a lot of people would go through the treatment program and they, if they were successful, quote unquote, they, they, would be, they would become gym addicts. They'd be in the gym like six hours a day every single day 
And if they didn't get their protein shake, they're going to freak out. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's, you're addicted to something. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because I was a gym addict before, believe it or not. I know I'm, you're like, you're a fat slob now. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> <Me too. laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I, that's all I did, you know, the karate school thing. And if I didn't own that karate school, I worked at karate schools. Mm-hmm. I worked at gyms. That was, that was what I did. And then I lost, I, I left that addiction for a little bit of just freedom, you know, it just yeah. didn't, didn't have really any commitments. And then that turned into the alcoholism. So it's like, I went from, and I'm still that way to this day. I'm still addicted to whatever I do. I'm addicted to podcasting. You know, everything is podcasting. If you go to my Facebook page, it's podcast this, check out this episode, check out. So it's just, I'm addicted all the time to something. And he goes back to my monsters. I'm, you know, I'm still addicted to my monsters. But, and, and it's, it's, you know, I don't even know really where I'm going with that other than it just seems like, although the addictions that I have now are, are healthier to a degree, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, you still kind of have that addictive personality. You still have the, and you hear about that, an addictive personality where that's kind of a justification for a tendency. Uh, what is it? A, a higher tendency to fall into addictive behaviors. Yeah, it's just my personality. Yeah, is and that's 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 not right, is it? Yeah, I I I tend to steer away from that a little bit because um, it can feel a little bit like a cop out in a way. Yeah, this is just you know who I am, just let loving or hate me. But you know, <laughs> this there's certainly a lot of value in getting really immersed in a particular project, and and I think that that's really what what being a really you know effective entrepreneur is about in many ways is, is you're really, you're diving all in, you're jumping in, right? So you're jumping into podcasting and it's doing pretty well for you right now. I can tell, right? So it, it, there, there's, there's value there. So there's a skill. I will say this, if it's causing you or any, I should say any listeners that, you know, it's distress in relationships or distress in your life, you're holding yourself back in some way, then yeah, that's an addiction that you need to un- to remove the underlying causes of that behavior. It doesn't mean that you're going to stop podcasting. It doesn't mean that you're going to stop, right. you know, um, going to the gym and working out like this. It's, but you don't have to do it religiously, you know, to the point that, you know, it's, it's every single time that you think about anything has to do with that particular activity here. Right on. So, Let's start to wrap this thing up because I can see they're they're getting our attention going 10 minutes, five minutes. It's time to wrap it up and get back to the main room. So if you could leave us with one thought, what would that be? Yeah, uh, that's that's a good one. It's something that I always come back to over and over and over again. It's that whatever your distress is that you're experiencing in your life right now, it is not your fault. It's not your fault because that it was all made possible based on your earlier life experiences. You could almost not be any other way. Okay. So we, that's, it started a long time ago and probably started before you were even born, but it is your responsibility right now to make that choice. Are you going to choose life or are you going to choose death? Wow. And you know, I almost chose death. You know, I mean, yeah. that that's powerful. It speaks to you, brother. I think it speaks to everybody. I think there's so many people out there that can take your message and definitely apply it to themselves. And it, it's not your fault is it's a great way to look at it because we do carry so much blame on ourselves. Mm-hmm. We do weigh ourselves down with that self-doubt that comes from the guilt. We do weigh ourselves down 
with the negative thoughts that keep us from moving forward in whatever it may be, whether it's, as you mentioned, an athletic endeavor or your business or your podcast or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. So I'm, I think that's very, very powerful. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, my pleasure. Well, Robert, let's wrap this thing up, man. We're going to get in trouble if we don't get back to that main room <laughs> here today on PodMax Global. Well, Robert, thank you so very much for joining me this morning on the Redly Random Podcast. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to uh, maintaining a at least a communicative relationship down the road. I absolutely would love that as well. And if any listeners are interested in checking out my website, please go to grigorcounseling.com. And uh, I would love to be back at any time you would have me. Thank you so much, Larry. Awesome. We can definitely take a conversation in a variety of different directions. So Clearly. Yes, sir. All right. Well, everybody, this has been a great episode of the Readily Random Podcast. I'll have all the links to Robert's information in the show notes when this episode drops. And I look very much forward to hearing your feedback. Thanks, everybody. Take care. And bye-bye. You could be larger.